this morning, we're going to be coming again to 1 John, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 will be in verses 18 through 27. And uh, this week, as I, as I went through the, the interwebs and and I, I was kind of scrolling through there, cruising through there, because we're not supposed to be cruising otherwise. I came across this meme, and, and there's a lot of them out there, and so many of them are funny. But, but I, as I read this, I thought, now this might be something that comes from this crisis that is, would be interesting for our society. The meme was based on an old TV show character by the name of Monk. You might remember Monk, the... The, uh, the detective in San Francisco who has a lot of issues. He has numerous compulsive habits, a number of phobias, including fear of milk, fear of ladybugs, fear of harmonicas, which I find very fascinating, but especially fear of germs. And that's all about the center of his character, which makes the, the show funny. So the meme that I was talking about before says this. And just like that, Monk doesn't seem that crazy. So, and I don't know about you, but I went for walks this week. I went for probably longer walks than I have in a long time. And I would notice as I was walking toward people that they would scoot over on the other side of the sidewalk. One guy even walked way over in this green belt area to stay away from me. My wife, while she was walking, actually had a lady come up to her with her umbrella and go... Physical, you know, physical distance, physical distance, remain in your space with her umbrella kind of folding and unfolding in her face. Um, I also noticed that people would look at you very funny. It's almost like they're looking at you with this idea of, are you infected? Well, in our series in 1 John, it's called Assurance in an Uncertain World. John is wrestling with this question. He's wrestling with the question of what does it mean to be Christian? And so in order to answer this question and to give assurance to the church that, that he has been writing to, he comes back over and over again through this little letter to three big themes. The themes are this, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Love your brother and sisters in Christ. And hold on to the truth of Christ. And those are the ways that you can be assured that you are indeed a follower of Christ. And so as we come to uh, 1 John 2, 18-27 in this letter, John speaks of an infection that had invaded the church that was brought on by some ominous characters. So let's dive into our text today and let's think about the, these people and, uh, and unpack it as, as we read God's holy word. Would you read 1 John with me? 1 John 2, 18-27. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they, had, if they had been um, of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. 
and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as He has taught you, abide in Him. This is God's holy word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your love and mercy. I thank you for your care for us. I just ask that you would allow this word to penetrate our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Allow the message to abide in us. And may we hold on to it, to you, to you, dear Jesus, the truth. And we would be healed. And we would be forgiven. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Well, um, as we look at this passage, John has just, he's just dumped a whole lot into our laps for us to kind of consider. And overall, what I want you to understand that is going on here is that John has introduced a situation that arose in the wake of a departure of some of the members of this particular church in this particular community, which is most likely Ephesus. Those who had departed, he called Antichrist. And here he is communicating that these believers that, that, that were remaining stood secure against the false teaching of those antichrists because of their union with Christ through belief and faith in Him and Him alone. Now let's look a little closer at this passage as, uh, as, 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 and, and really what it means for us today. You know, we're reading about a letter that happened to a group of people, but so how does that impact us today? So what we're going to see, first of all, is that we need to be aware of the infection of the Antichrist. And second, we need to receive the cure of our loving Father. So, as we consider our first point, beware of the infection of the Antichrist, One of the questions that people seem to ask all the time, and I've seen it being asked again, I've seen all sorts of articles about it, even this week, and that's this question. Are we living in the last days? I mean, maybe you kind of get the reason why they would ask that question. Uh, You know, there's a lot of things going on in our world with disasters and with earthquakes and with uh, storms that happen every year. It seemed to grow in strength. Um, There's also, uh, um, you know, wars and rumors of wars and all these things. And then all of a sudden you have this pandemic that goes all over the globe. And people are really asking the question, are we living in the last days? 
Now, before all this situation, people would see something on TV and they would hear a preacher or someone speaking of that and he's got all these charts and he has all these things laid out there in terms of looking through Daniel, looking through Revelation and, and the discussions all uh, you know, kind of center around this ominous figure called the Antichrist. Well, you know, with the coronavirus, it has been something that, that we may want to ask John here has an answer for us. I want you to look back in verse 18 of chapter 2. Look back at that. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, this is very important for us to understand. John is saying that they, at that time, were already living in the last hour or the last days. You may read in Paul's writings or Peter's writings. That's how they phrase it. And so, let that sink in just for a moment. They, at that time, were already living in the last days. And so to answer the question, are we living in the last hour? Are we living in the last days? The answer to that question is yes. Of course we are. If they were living in it, then we are living in it. So the Bible teaches the unfolding of God's redemption plan in this way. There is the Old Covenant or the Old Testament uh, in which God unfolds His plan in shadows and signs and the prefiguring reality of Christ that is to come. And then when Christ came, Christ Jesus came in the flesh, that plan was inaugurated. Therefore, the end times have commenced with the coming of Jesus Christ so that this is the final hour of history as we know it until Jesus returns in glory and in majesty. So understand the context here of John's thinking. In his mind, he, he, he is going through the thought process. Christ has come. He has won the victory over sin and death in His crucifixion and in the resurrection. And then with His ascension into heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and then the proclamation of the good news that God is His Son and that through Him we can be reconciled to Him. We are indeed living in the last hour. The last hour before Jesus comes to consummate His victory. And so, being in the last hour, John says, so now, many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Now, I realize this may create many questions concerning the title of Antichrist or Antichrists, plural. Um, uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, we don't have time to answer every question that you might have of, of this, 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 you know, this term, this, this phrase, Antichrist. Um, but understand that John is communicating something very significant to the church. And that is this. Because Christ came, the enemy is attacking. Christ the Messiah has come, and so the enemy is attacking with wrath. 
Now for those of you who are familiar with World War II, it's the same principle that we saw in World War II that we see here in the Scriptures. And that's this. D-Day was June 6, 1944. And that is when the Allied forces landed in Normandy on the beach and they dealt the decisive victory in which the war was essentially over. However, it was not until V-Day, May 8, 1945, that the German troops throughout Europe finally laid down their arms. So what happened between June 6, 1944 and May 8, 1945? The Nazi regime fought with wrath and with fury. John is saying the same thing here. The enemy is attacking. This principle of Antichrist is already uh, present in this local congregation in in John's day. And as, as he says in verse 19, notice they came from within. Not from without the church, but from within the church. In other words, Satan came in to divide and to conquer in and through the church. And so that's why we need to be on guard. We need to be careful. The form of the attack that the enemy takes is to lead people astray. Astray from within. And that enemy also makes it so that people would hear the message that Jesus is not who the Bible says He is. Well, I was in seminary in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina at RTS. Um, there was a dear brother in one of my classes, and he was actually a, a, a graduate of Duke Divinity School. Now, you have to understand that many professors at Duke Divinity School come from the modern thinking of, of modern liberal theology and that whole movement. This movement offers an an understanding of Jesus that dismisses as outrageous the idea that Jesus was the eternal God who became human. Contrary to biblical truth, they distinguish Jesus uh, from other humans as having a high potency of God consciousness. And thus, a God-filled man or a God-intoxicated man, but not the God-man who gave Himself as a divine sacrifice that we would be reconciled unto God. I'll never forget one of the classes, one of my professors asked him, you know, I just want to know, I just want to know, uh, when you were at Duke Divinity School, you know, did they talk about this? Did they ever say anything about, they didn't really believe in the, in the Jesus of the Bible, so why were they even there? Why were they having the classes? Why were they teaching the Bible? And I'll never forget the, uh, the gentleman spoke up and his answer was shocking to me, honestly. And he said, well, one of the professors told me that we just need something to believe in. Something to hold on to, even though it's not true. To this, the Apostle John would lovingly say, children, be warned. Those who would deny the Bible's truth about who Jesus is, who would say that He is not who we the apostles say He is, 
not who the Old Testament points to. Not who God promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. One who would come and crush the head of the evil one. Who would undo all evil. All traces of man's inhumanity to man. All the pain. All the suffering. All the trouble and tribulation of this planet. And make all things new. Be warned against anyone who would speak against this. Friends, that is who Christ is. He is who the Scriptures say He is. The, the, the writers of the Bible are, are vast. The Gospels are, are, are filled with truths of, of, uh, of their experience and what they saw in Jesus and how they heard from Him. The Scripture tells us that He appeared to over 500 after He raised from the dead. That's who Christ is. And if He did not take on our human nature, then He could not really have died in our place. And so all of this is for naught. It means nothing. Those antichrist deny who Jesus is. And sadly, very sadly, those again came from within the church. Just like the liberal theologians of today. Just like those who take some aspect of Christianity and create a brand new religion uh, to suit their desires instead of following the Lord. And what John says here is he confronts them as he says, you are antichrists. John makes it clear that they're liars. And that their infection is an, is an insidious attack from the evil one, which denies not only the Son, but also God the Father, as he notes in verse 23. Now you may be thinking, as you hear these words, you may be thinking, boy, that's so positive during this time. Patrick, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, we have this coronavirus out there with this infection of COVID-19 going on. And what you're telling me is that there's another infection in the world that I need to be worried about. Come on, brother. Where's the good news? Give me some good news. Is there good news? Yes, there is. Let's look again at the text and let's be encouraged by the cure of our loving Father. Our second point then is to receive the cure of our loving Father. Now I've already been speaking about this. I've already been talking about the cure that comes. And it's a foundational truth. And it's the foundational truth of the message of the gospel. Look at verse 24 with me. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. So what have we heard from the beginning? Well, I think we need to be reminded of this often. Um, one of the things that I do often in my own heart as I think back through the redemption story through the whole Bible 
If you go to the Bible and you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you remember there in Genesis that it taught us that, that, that mankind was made in God's image. Made for the glory of God. The pinnacle of all creation. And He was created in God's likeness. And, and, and then the Scripture just tells us sadly that, that mankind re- rebelled against God. He sought equality with God. And gave in to the temptation of eating from the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden. And yet, because of God's mercy... Because of His great love, because of His grace, He did not leave us to suffer the consequences of our sin. As as I said earlier, He, the promised one, came to crush the head of the evil one. Who This one would come and He would undo all evil, all traces of man's inhumanity to man. He takes away all the pain, all the suffering, all the trouble and tribulation that is on this planet, and He makes all things new. That's the one that would come. And the Old Testament continues to point this out through the unfolding of the promise, through the covenant made with Abraham, through whom this promised one would come. We see it continually then unfold through the Old Testament in the children of Abraham, in the giving of the law to Moses, in the, in the, in the reign and lives of the kings, and in the messages of the prophets. And they all point to one central theme throughout the whole Scripture, and that is the Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. And then when you turn the pages into the New Testament, The words are said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, His own divine Son, into the world. He became a man. And He came and He lived a perfect life that we could not live. And He took upon Himself the sin of the world. He took upon our sin upon Himself. On that cross. And He was crucified. And He was put in the grave. And, and when we said the, the, um, the Apostles' Creed earlier, we said that, that, um, that He was dead. And, 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 and He was. He was dead. But then three days later, the miracle happened. The stone was rolled away. And Jesus resurrected to new life. And as I said earlier, He appeared to over 500 people. Who gave testimony to Him. As a matter of fact, in the history writing of the Scripture, you can see it over and over again that the New Testament writers are very careful to point out, and this person, and this person. And they name names so that anyone reading at that time could go and find those people and ask them. The historical accuracy is unparalleled. Now, not only did Jesus come to rescue us from sin, But He came to release the world from its bondage to corruption. And so I have a question for you. How do you know God loves you? How do you know He desires to be reconciled to you? How do you know He longs to be uh, with you in His presence for all eternity? Because He gave us His Son, Jesus. The God-man. To die in our place. Think about it. That's how much He loves you. He gave His Son. 
So brothers and sisters in Christ, believe the message. Hold on to the message that you've heard from the very beginning. Let this message abide in you and you will see it transform your life. Sometimes you'll think, oh my gosh, I'm just such a wicked sinner. And we are. But Christ is making us new. And when we see Him face to face, how glorious it will be. This is the foundation, brothers and sisters, in Christ of the cure. But there's one other aspect that flows from this that John points us to here in this text that is good news. And that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. John makes it clear that all believers are anointed with the and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who unites us to Christ. And because we are indwelt by or anointed by the Holy Spirit, we have true knowledge of God. You see that in verses 20 and 27 here. He communicates to the church that we have been anointed by the Holy One. Just a little insight here. This term that John is using usually is used either of God the Father or God the Son. And and that points to Christ anointing us even as the priests were anointed to God. So he he is saying that we have been anointed like the kings of old. The power of God. If you are in Christ, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And therefore, the text is plain. He says, therefore you know Him. Commentators believe that John's statement here is a direct jab at the false teachers. That the false teachers claimed that they had a special anointing, a secret knowledge of God. And John is saying to these believers, no, absolutely not. Do not listen to them. You have the anointed uh, the work of the Lord in you. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you. There's nothing else you need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is eternal life. And so in, in practical sense, what we see then is, is that when the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a believer, He opens the eyes to Jesus and He reveals who Jesus is. He's not just some great moral teacher. If He were just a moral teacher and He wasn't the Lord, the God of the universe, then He'd be a liar. He's not just some great example for us to emulate. And though we can live like Him in a lot of ways, we can't emulate what He did. No, He is the worthy Son of God come to die for you and for me. The Alpha the Omega, the Creator, Redeemer, the Good Shepherd, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, the Lamb of God, our Deliverer, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. I could go on and on and on. He's got more names than the the most famous prize fighter. And He has fought for you. He has fought for you because He loves you. And He even says that we're His friends. It is the Holy Spirit that confirms this. It is the Holy Spirit who who brings us comfort in no matter what kind of situation we're in. This is the truth. Jesus is the truth. 
He is the cure. Will you embrace Him? Will you be comforted in this time of need for the need of peace and hope and security? The other day I was driving. As a matter of fact, it was last week when we came to record this service. And, and, and to be honest with you, I had a lot, a lot of mixed emotions. And, and um, inside, I was just very, very, very emotional about what it would be like to be here without all of you here and, and, and what it would be like to miss you. And, and you know, and I love our, our sound team and our music team, but just to have everybody else gone just seemed so empty in my heart. And so I, I decided I need to just get my mind off that and to think about the things of the Lord. And so I found Andrew Peterson on Spotify and I put in Andrew Peterson's song, Is He Worthy? And, and, and I'll never forget, just, just this, this, as, this, as his voice just broke out and his first words were, do you feel the world is broken? You better believe it. <laughs> Do you feel the shadows deepen? Yes, I do, Andrew. Yes, I do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Yeah, Andrew, I do. Yes, I do. And my mind went off on many directions and I went under the bridge there at 380 to get on to Preston. And as I pulled up to the light there, I, I saw like above, you know, it's just kind of light in the background. It was a little bit of a cloudy day. And I saw a huge flock of birds up there. And then Andrew's voice ringed out again. Do you, does the Father truly love us? He does. And then, I kid you not, does the Spirit move among us and the birds just change direction in another direction? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. And I had that experience where, God, You are in control. You are reigning. Help me to never believe the lies, but to always trust in You. For He is worthy. He is worthy. He is. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your ministry of the Word to us. You know the truth of how much I needed this gospel this week. How much I needed to be, rem- to be reminded of your goodness and your mercy. I pray, Father, that we would fix our eyes on your son, Jesus. That we would know that he holds all these things in his hands. That we would know that he is the great physician. That we would know that He is our God and our King. Oh Lord, we so look for all things made new. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.